Hi, and welcome to Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness and lifestyle podcast providing relatable conversations and encourage our listeners to strive for self-growth, self-reflection, and self-love. We are two therapists who just want to keep it real. We provide a safe and honest space for those who need an extra dose of connection with a no-bullshit filter. We're your hosts, Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Factor, and we welcome you to our space. We're so happy to have you here. Now let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of 2023 of Dope Shit My Therapist Says, and our first episode of season one of Dope Shit My Therapist Says. As you know, we have switched to seasons. So even though we've been in the podcast game for um, going on three years, we are trying out seasons for 2023. And our first guest is someone we think you're really going to like. I discovered her on TikTok as one does nowadays. She is a feminist dating coach. Her name is Lily Womble, and she was one of the top matchmakers in the U.S. And after setting up hundreds of first dates, she realized that with coaching, high-achieving women could match themselves better than anyone else ever could. With her company, Date Brazen, she has led thousands to build dating lives that feel like self-care that also lead to extraordinary love. She's changed lives daily with her 85,000 plus TikTok community, top four relationship podcast, the Date Brazen podcast, and sold out coaching programs worldwide. She currently lives in Brooklyn with her fiance, Chris, and you can find Lily on all socials at Date Brazen. We had a really good conversation with Lily, and there's a lot of juicy information for anyone who is currently dating, has dated, struggled with burnout, and this is a great episode to kick off 2023. We're excited for you to hear it. Please make sure you're following us at uh, instagram.com slash dope SHT therapy pod for the latest polls, um, information on our episodes, and hilarious therapy memes. And we hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hi, Lily. Thank you so much for coming on Dope Shit My Therapist Says. We're excited to have you and talk all about dating and your role as a dating coach. So yes, I'm so excited. So I am from the deep South. Um, I, so that's why you hear like a twang in my accent sometimes. Um, and I was raised as an unapologetic feminist in the deep South did not really fit in, uh, suffice to say. And, uh, so I got my career started in the advocacy nonprofit space for women and girls. Um, so, uh, began my career as sort of a professional feminist. And then once I burnt out of that, career track, nonprofit life. I uh, took a hard left turn, moved to New York, had a billion side hustles, side jobs. Um, One of them was like a balloon hat maker at Senor Frogs in Times Square, very iconic. Uh, And I needed another side hustle. My heart had always been for the well-being of women and girls. But at that time, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to live that purpose while also living another dream. I randomly found a job as a matchmaker at a national firm. My friend was working for them. She was like, it's a good side hustle go. So I started helping women with their dating lives in this way. And I found that dating was this really interesting microcosm of a person's well-being. that dating was a microcosm of every hope, joy, dream, fear, insecurity, desire that we have. And so in that way, through dating, I could help women be well. 
And so that began this like career trajectory in the dating space focused specifically on the wholeness and wellness of women. And so once I like, you know, learned that, um, number one, I needed to have some more fundamental skills to hold myself in compassion in my dating life and to be really boundary about what I wanted. Cause I ended up in a really bad relationship and I was a matchmaker at the same time. So I started building these skills of like, how am I going to give myself permission to want everything that I want? How am I going to really know my preferences on an essence-based level? And so I started coaching myself in that way. And that morphed into learning that women could be their own expert matchmakers with these tools when they're empowered um, and when they're supported fully. So I started Date Brazen um, about five, six years ago, I broke up with matchmaking to uh, start helping women build joyful dating lives on their own terms. Um, and yes, and I'm excited to be here, excited to talk more about this. That's incredible. I, f I feel like it's so necessary now. And we both experienced dating burnout. And uh, we're going to you know, talk about a bunch of different dating related topics today. Curious when you started matchmaking, what year was that? 2016. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the reason, the reason I ask is just because, and I think we can probably dive right into the first question that we have about dating apps. I remember my first dating app experience was um, as a senior in college, it was 2014 and it was Tinder and it was brand new. And I feel like it's important to kind of touch base on like the dating apps and how they've become mm -hmm super uh, successful over the last couple of years. We've seen a number of them. We've seen all different types. I know Ryan and I, you know, have tried so many different types of dating apps over the years, um, but you've shared that you can ditch the apps and still be successful. So let's talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So I, taking it back to the the data, the, the latest available data that we have um, right now, Pew Research, February 2020, released a study that said that 12% of heterosexual couples met online and around 20% of um, lesbian, gay, bisexual relationships met online. So a little bit of a higher percentage for that population. Um, and so I do think that the idea that quote, the majority of couples meet online is a great marketing campaign. Um, and also as our phones become more and more um, intertwined with how we live our lives, of course, dating apps feel ubiquitous. And of course, dating apps feel like the only quote, the only way to meet somebody. And I think the one of the most damaging narratives about dating apps that I see proliferated amongst singles and people who want to help their single friends is this idea that quote, you're not trying if you're not on a dating app. And I think that message is really Ryan, I see you I see you nodding um, uh, a, a bunch. I want to hear your thoughts too. But but I think this idea is pretty damaging because it um, dating apps are also fundamentally hard on our brains and our nervous systems. And so as such, they are like this very widely used tool. Most people don't use them with boundaries because they're addictive, like a slot machine. They're very, very much like TikTok. Like I yesterday, I found myself on TikTok all day. And at the end of the day, I was like, why do I feel like shit? And I was like, oh, because I have been comparing myself 
to a lot of people, I've been having a lot of thoughts about what I want and what I should be doing and having all of these spirals throughout the day without being conscious of them. And I think that phenomenon happens with dating apps as well. So um, I don't know if I answered your question. I just, I, I think that this idea that you don't have to be on dating apps is one of my favorite ideas that I talk about and how to do in-person dating. Um, and uh, I also want to say I'm not anti-dating apps. I sort of hate them all equally, <laughs> yeah. both, both and. I think that they are a tool that one can use with power and confidence, similar to a carpenter would not say a hammer is the reason that I build a house. A carpenter would say like a hammer is a tool that I use in the process of building a house similar to like a dating app isn't the reason the answer to your love life you and your skills and your groundedness and your agency are. Yeah, I like that comparison. Yeah, I mean, I I have been perpetually single for a long, very long time and been on dating apps, like Lauren had said, since like they basically came out and have really never found success. Like I'm still single, right? Like it's never been something where I'm like, wow, this is working really well for me. And it wasn't until this past summer that I took a major break from them, like deleted them for the first time ever, like fully deleted my profile, like was just like cold turkey, no dating apps whatsoever. And the reason I did that was because I noticed my mood and like you said, my nervous system was just a mess. I was constantly angry and irritable and getting frustrated with the results of talking to people and either not getting the same effort back or people not being on the same page with intentions. Um, and so I think TikTok really did help me with that. Not just seeing your stuff, but seeing kind of this consistency of people saying like, I got off the apps and I started trying things differently, which is what I did. I joined a kickball team. I tried to put myself out there in ways that I typically wasn't before. Um, and just being more intentional and aware of like how I present myself when I'm out and about. Um, and that doesn't mean I was at bars all the time because I definitely wasn't, but I was just trying different things. So yeah, completely agree. They are tools. I have them again now, but I am not using them the same as I was before. If anything, they're kind of just sitting on my phone. Yeah. I love, I love that uh, sort of detox that you did from the old way of performing. I think that like if one has been single for a while, most of my clients are in their thirties and their forties. Um, there's this there, there, there's this um, years and years pylon of other people's rules, of patriarchal expectations, of um, longing for to find what you want that sort of builds up, builds up, builds up into exactly I've seen what you're talking about, which is this like irritability, this this feeling of like maybe some hopelessness with with dating because of your relationship with an app. Um, and I think that like clearing the deck is so beautiful because um, it sounds like you're coming into your own best practices and your own like way of being in your dating life, which like is is all that I could hope for you as a dating coach, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely trying. I hope, you know, to definitely learned a lot from you during the, our conversations together today. But I mean, I think one of the things that we have questions that goes along with that are like, what are some of the dating rules that you see all the time with your clients or just kind of across the board that you encourage people to throw out and just rethink or kind of rewrite their own storylines around these things? Yeah, 100%. Number one, a match or a message is not an accurate metric 
of success. And I see, so, and, and it makes sense why our brains have categorized that information as success. There's a study that was done, I believe in Stockholm, I can send you all the link, that was uh, that studied how the pleasure center of, our, center of our brain is impacted by dating apps and how they trick the pleasure center to crave more and more of those rewards that they say are rewards. But it's um, sort of similar to uh, a, like if you're, um, I don't know, like a like a coffee shop is giving you stars and points every time you um, you you go in and you forget your card one day and you're like, oh my god, I failed because that's a it's a false it's a made up thing, you know, but they, because they want to sell more coffee. So this idea that a match or a message is an indicator of how close or far away you are is a false metric, and I hear that people struggling with that so often saying things like, I just haven't gotten a lot of matches or I haven't gotten a lot of messages and that therefore I am further away from finding what I want. Um, I think that's a rule that you get to, that people listening can give themselves permission to release. Like what it, what if the right person was going to find you in the right timing and what would guide you towards that right person is you acting in your agency that acting in your agency can look like swiping. It can look like deleting the apps. It can look like going to a speed dating event, joining a kickball league. Like how are you, how can you redefine your metric of success? That's number one, um, to something that's like more in your control. Um, number two is this idea of the numbers game. Like it's, it's, it's fucked up. This idea of like, you need to play the numbers game because more dates equals closer to your partner quote unquote. Um, I have seen again and again that the numbers game myth going on more dates um, to get closer is actually leading you closer to burnout than it is to finding your person. And if we look even closer at that narrative, what is it saying? It's saying women exhaust yourselves, go on more dates than you want to. Don't listen to your intuition. Don't uh, just give them another, give them another chance because you never know, you know, like, but what if you do know, what if you were the expert of finding what you wanted and you could trust yourself here? I think those are the two biggest rules that I want people to give themselves permission to release and rethink for themselves. I feel like during my dating app experience, I would get a ton of matches and I would reach out. I would be super, you know, creative with my answers and, you know, we do talk a lot about the people who maybe don't get as many matches and for obvious reasons that can definitely hurt someone's self-esteem. But on the flip side of getting so many matches and people talking to you and then not getting responses and not getting asked out did a lot of psychological harm for me like a couple of years ago. And I totally burnt myself out on it, too. And I just remember how... I used every everything that you said, every, um, you know, it's a numbers game, all these things, just to try to convince myself that one of these, you know, men were right for me when none of them were right for me. And it's just like interesting to see for people who've like really dated on the dating apps, mm -hmm. what the experience we've had is unlike anyone else, or even if someone's done like, you know, dating programs, like matchmaking, really putting in that extra effort rather than just, you know, showing up at a bar, guy comes and talks to you. It's just such a different experience to really put yourself in those positions to find someone and then feel unsuccessful. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, and as humans, of course, we want metrics of our progress and how yummy that a dating app gives you some sort of like face to look at and match our brain loves faces and gives you some sort of metric. So like, of course, our brains cling to I'm getting all these matches and then for the flip side to be but none of them are answering back. I think um, that reminds me of the topic of like unnecessary emotional labor that dating is so emotional labor heavy, especially for people socialized as women, especially, um, you know, in the dating space for people dating people who have not been socialized to do as much emotional labor and uh, men. Um, I and I, I just want to also say that, like, that's why I really recommend having very clear boundaries with what you're messaging back. You said creatively messaging back. And I love that both and it can lead to like coming up with a new bespoke message in response or like coming up with something new can be exhausting. And so having your stable of intentional messages and intentional questions, I call them qualifying, disqualifying questions um, can really be helpful in mitigating that unnecessary emotional like mitigating any unnecessary emotional labor like i will i encourage my clients to message somebody what's hey what's bringing you joy this week or there are different variations for if that doesn't feel right to people but um like figuring out what is my process to protect my heart time and then to like feel my feelings around this complicated topic and practice self-compassion when my brain inevitably has a thought like nobody's messaging me back. It must be hopeless. Like I think self-compassion is the number one tool um, in response to dating that I've seen change the game for people. I think that's really helpful. Like having those intentional questions that you feel in the beginning will help weed people out. And it's hard because like, even like you were saying, like the metric piece of it, like based on messages and matches, like on dating apps so frequently we are seeing me and probably others are seeing the responses from men be uh, I don't know what word to use I don't want to say lazy but like not giving in the same effort that we may be showing up you know to the apps with like you're going to ask this creative question. You're going to try to get to know the person and maybe they're just giving you like a one word answer back or, you know, and then using that as like a success, right? Like, well, now I'm frustrated because I feel like I'm putting in the emotional labor or the, you know, mental labor into this situation and not getting that same thing back. So I think the questions having those ready, like you said, would be helpful. Yes. And the, the, you know, we talked about the rules that I think aren't serving us. Let's talk about the rules that do serve you in your heart time. Like I will not respond to one word responses. Like I will like truly it takes, I believe that we are for the few, not for the many. I think that goes for friendships. I think that goes for romantic relationships. I think that this idea that our brains are in cognitive overload with all of the options on a dating app. And so, of course, we see all these options and we want all these options to give us some glimmer of hope that it's going to work out both. And it's not a dating app's job to prove to you that what you want is possible. Likewise, it's not Joe Schmo's job to prove to you what you want is possible. It's your job to set the boundaries in place so that you are interacting with people who have the highest potential for you, which I think really means fierce boundaries for yourself um, and really means like easing, helping your brain by like deleting those matches and messages as soon as you know that it's not going to work so that you have a clean, like beautiful little match pool that is smaller 
that is only people that you're interested in talking with. And the minute they only give you a one word response, either send a bless and release message if you're talking for a while or like just delete the match. Bye. Like I'm looking for, I'm for the few, not for the many. You didn't qualify yourself. Bless you on your journey. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think, I think that took time. And part of that is, you know, that feminist piece of like coming over, jumping over the the hill of not upsetting people and in taking care of other people's emotions. Well, what if they're mad at me? What if they feel bad? What if I, you know, hurt their self-esteem by just deleting them or setting a boundary? And I think Mm -hmm. that's, has been part of my journey with dating and dating apps is stepping back from the fear to kind of make sure that I'm whatever. Sorry, Laura, go ahead. No, I was also just going to add to, um, and that feeling, especially, you know, in the twenties or thirties or even, you know, any decade really of being okay with the idea that you might not find someone. And I know I don't know. I can, I can only speak for me. I I met my boyfriend last year um, when I was 30 and I'd been perpetually on dating apps since I was 22 and I've never dated off of a dating app in my life. And it was burnout and all my friends knew about every dating up and down. And, you know, I had relationships from dating apps. They weren't the right fit for me. I met my boyfriend early last year when I kind of was like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to see what happens. But basically, I feel like at that point, I kind of relinquished myself from the dating apps. And I was like, you know what, if it's meant to be, it will be my um, mantra last year was meant to be I made it on Canva as my background, I had it as my phone background from the beginning of the year. And about, you know, a little less than halfway through the year, I, I found my partner through kickball and not through a dating app. And it was really hard at first to kind of, um, I think that's another good thing that we can talk about too, is just feeling like, especially in the beginning of like early dating, how it can be really confusing. And are you sure that, you know, are these red flags? Is this dating anxiety? Are these old patterns or is, or are these new patterns that you've never experienced where someone is actually texting you back? Someone is actually planning dates. And so kind of navigating that process. I don't know if you have any advice for women who are struggling with that when they meet someone that could actually be a really great match. Yeah. How nerve wracking and scary. Um, I also, I remember finding my partner, Chris, um, who I also met in person through friends, um, about five, almost six years ago now. And, uh, when we started dating, I remember thinking, having the thought, I don't know if I trust, and this is a quote from somebody else, but it felt really resonant. So it became a thought of mine. I don't know if I trust somebody who wants to be a member of my team. Like, I don't know if I trust somebody who wants to be in my club because I really had to work through a lot of thoughts, uh, self-sabotaging thoughts that were old protective mechanisms from so much rejection and, and some trauma. Um, and so I'm, I'm really glad that I was seeing my therapist throughout all of that time. And it was messier than a beautiful, like, it started and I felt so good about it all the time. It was messy. It was like, I am having all of the, I was getting over um, a breakup with a terrible, a partner, we, we were terrible together and it was not serving me at all. And I was shoving my needs into a box constantly. So having somebody ask me, what do you need? How can I show up for you? Like it, I did not trust that at first. And I also like, I live by the tenant or I, I imperfectly live by the tenant. You can't say the wrong thing to the right person. And so telling my, you know, t- telling my part, let, let me take it, let me make it really real. My first date, I talked about my ex 
on my first date with Chris, I talked about with my ex with for like 30 minutes. It was not good. After being 45 minutes late, it was like bad. <laughs> it was like self-sabotaging hard. And uh, after two, one, two months of being with Chris, I had brought up my ex pretty consistently. I was processing with him and my therapist and he number one, I couldn't say the wrong thing to the right person. So like he was listening, he was attentive, both and after a couple months, he was like, Lily, I need to set a boundary because I don't want to talk about your ex anymore. I I, I want to talk about us and I want you to be supported and I'm, I don't really want to talk about him anymore. And so that's another thing, like the right person will be emotionally mature enough to like hold space for you and to set their own boundaries and just normalizing that it was messier than I thought it would be. It was more um, complex in my brain. Now, our connection was not complex. Our connection felt grounded and safe and I was cared for and receiving that felt complicated for me. So um, I, I do think that if I could go back to that version of Lily now, like I didn't have a lot of the skills that I have now. I also, I would tell her like, please, um, please learn the skill of self-compassion of like normalizing your own experience in your brain. Please, um, you know, go on a walk when you're feeling activated and like trust that you're not you're not um, wrong for having complex feelings about this um, and like tune in with your body. Like, are you feeling safe in the relationship? Are you feeling held? Are you feeling seen? That is the metric to use to continue or not continue. Like if you're f- using, how do you want to feel in the right relationship as the metric of, am I in, am I, should I stay right? The, am I in the right place um, to distinguish between, am I just activated because I'm learning new patterns or is this not right for me? I feel like this is like so relevant to me right now because I'm in the early stages of dating somebody and there's kind of like this anxiety that exists for me because of old trauma. And I just have like a very insecure attachment. And, you know, so like for me, it's figuring out like where to go from here and how to not respond from a place of my insecurity and my anxiety and putting that on him. And so my question is like, with the thought that, you know, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. Like, what does the timing look like on having those bigger conversations of, hey, here's my need, like, and I'm presenting it to you of, I I need a little bit more. Do you want to talk about specifics? (laughs) We can. (laughs) Great. What is the, what's the need that you have right now? Um, I guess it's more effort on his part to see me. So how are you feeling as you say this out loud? <laughs> um anxious. I feel like I'm scared to ask for it. Yeah. yeah. So like first of all, of course you're scared to ask for it. What is the worst case scenario here? He's not able to give it to me, which I know means he's not right for me. But right. it's that first step of okay, we've been talking, we met him about a month ago, it's been about a month, but he's also only been back in our state for about a month, moved back here after being gone for three years. And so things are great when we're together and we talk every day, but I'm the only one trying to figure out times to see each other. Yeah, that's hard. And I just want to introduce this idea that like, it can be a both and like, you can cognitively know (laughs) that you get to be with somebody who's right for you and somebody who wants to show up for you and be afraid 
and have really complicated feelings about and be scared, be, be sad about, you know, like I, I, I don't think it has to be an either or um, of like either I'm fierce for myself or I'm giving up too much. I think it's like that, first of all, how does that feel? Yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now, because typically I'm a very black and white person. So it's either like, nope, you're not, you know, you're not showing up, I'm, I'm leaving, or yeah. it's like, I am just going to sacrifice everything to like, make sure this other yeah. person, you know, has space. But I also haven't had those conversations with him of, yeah, here's what I need, can you do it? And so yeah, I think I like, how early what is an, too early to have those conversations? Not early, not too early, not the, no such thing. I feel like if, okay, for example, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. I wanted to move in with Chris month six. I was like, Chris, I I felt very vulnerable. Will you move in with me? His response was no. <laughs> no, I will not because I want to wait a year at least before we move in together, We, you know, to like feel it out. I was like, oh, that sucks. I didn't get what I wanted. And he was communicative. He was sharing his needs. He was like sharing his reasoning. He, you know, and I, another example, I have an anxious attachment style, I, I some trauma um, and, and some, um, a lot of overperforming and like anxiety in my brain that I was working out at the beginning of our relationship, like month one, I wanted to talk to him every night. Like, and I was like, this is my non-negotiable. We will speak every night. And he was like, okay, whatever you want. Like, sure. He, you know, we both have things we were bringing into the relationship. He needed to learn how to be more direct about what he wanted and needed. Um, and then after a month of talking an hour every night on the phone, he was like, Lily, it's really exhausting after work for me. Like, I, I, I actually, I love you. And can we talk for like 10 minutes? I was like, how about 20? And so all of this being said, I do not think that it is too early to ask for what you want, that the right person is going to be excited to meet your needs. And you can also be conscious of his needs too. And he can be conscious of them. You don't have to be responsible, of course. So I wonder if we were to say like, you have permission to ask to get your needs met and to to um to get your needs met what comes up for you around like how to have this conversation i i think i need to just do it in person and i i've been waiting for him to step it up and i i think part of it is not that he doesn't want to but it's just his personality to just kind of like be ever present at all points in time and so planning ahead and all this stuff that i'm so very yeah. good at um yeah. isn't her personality and i need to figure out if that means we're a good match or not and so i think just asking like hey i you know i want to see you more often and i understand you're busy being back in town with all your friends you haven't seen in three years you know would you be able to plan things when we could see each other more often and see yeah how that goes yeah i think even saying like i you know i i want to own that i've been I love seeing you. I've been making all the plans and it would make me feel really cared for. Like if you made some plans or, or you know, using I language to describe like how you are feeling, like just be, put it out there. I love this um, framework for radical um, 
honest, honestly, rad radically honest conversations from radical alignment. It's this book and it's this journaling exercise that you can do before having this conversation. And I have brought my notes in to have converse, hard conversations just for myself, but it's four steps. Number one, what's your intention for the conversation? Number two, what are your concerns for the conversation? Worst case scenario, ugh, you're asking too much. Ugh, you're being too needy, like whatever it is. Ugh, this is, you know, I can't do that for you. Number three, what are your boundaries? So like, what are you, how are you going to protect yourself? How are you going to care for yourself? And number four, what are your dreams? Like best case scenario, how does this go? And like really fleshing that out as well. Um, and then I, I want to hear an update after you have this conversation. I don't think it's too early to ask Thank somebody you. to like show up for you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Just need to pull the trigger and have the conversation. Yeah. You get, to, you get to do this, celebrating you. Yeah, thank you. Lauren, what are you thinking as we, as we talk about this? I love seeing Ryan be vulnerable. I feel like sometimes it's hard for her, and so it's nice that she gets an opportunity on the pod to share. Here's the thing, um, and I do want to talk about something uh, not on our uh, little list, but I was thinking about it. I feel like Ryan might know where I'm going with this, but or, or not. But um, I think every dating rule that I ever thought of that I heard from other people, whether that be friends, professionals, et cetera, totally went out the window when I met my boyfriend. Um, everything that I thought I was wrong. And so maybe I'm in my like, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to you kind of phase with like some of my friends or people that, you know, ask about dating. Um, so I, I agree with you, Lily, as far as, you know, it's not too early and, the right person really will love everything about you, as weird as that sounds, from the silliness to the frustration to, you know, every, everything. I feel like anything that I thought before, it's just like a clean slate with me. I think that's why when we were um, talking about having you on and we were so excited, we love dating episodes. We haven't done one in a really long time. I don't even know. We might have done one last year with another guest, but we haven't really tackled any dating issues since I've been in a relationship. And so I think whatever I knew before, it's just totally erased from my memory because when you meet the right person, things are just so different. And it's so hard to explain that until it happens to you. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, Lauren. I think it makes sense. And I also want to point out like, Ryan, if it feels heavy to hold hope sometimes, does that resonate? If it feels like heavy to be like, I'm certain the right person, then just know that like Lauren and I are holding that for you until it feels available for you to hold for yourself. You know, like you don't have to carry all of this by yourself. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love that you were allowing yourself to be vulnerable as well. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, that's probably the biggest thing in my life is always been dating. Like it's always been the hardest thing for me to be successful at. And, you know, I'm very career oriented, like I'm a go-getter. So when it's like, I see myself doing the self-work and I am, you know, doing all these things to be successful at something. And I just, with dating and relationships, like it's not something that you can like work your way up to when all of a sudden you're successful. It's not like that. It's, it's kind of just 
right timing and all of that. But with that, it it's hard to stay hopeful. And I know that there's listeners who feel that too of, you know, I'm doing all the things that everyone's telling me, you know, I'm putting myself out there, I'm working on myself, I'm setting boundaries, and it's still not happening. And so for me, that's a big piece of it is when I meet somebody that I like, I get anxious because my track record is it never moves anywhere, never goes anywhere. So I think that's a big piece of it for me is how to manage my own backstory and stay present and still set boundaries and remember what I want and deserve. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of my favorite coach quotes from this coach named Serena Hicks, who works on people's relationship with their money. She has this um, thought that she practices that circumstances have changed. And so have I. And I, I love that thought. It felt pretty radical the first time I heard it, um, especially after looking at some of my patterns and like business building or relationships or whatever, like this idea of it never has worked past a certain point, or it always has ended up like this or something. Like, I wonder what it would be like to, I wonder what it would be like if you believed that circumstances have changed and so have you, not in the sense of like, so this is the right relationship automatically, but like really redefining your relationship to the unknown in that way. And like one of the biggest things that I, one of the biggest tools that I um, help my clients with is creating emotional safety in your body as you navigate unknown and like still fiercely having your back, even when things are deeply unknown and how to integrate this belief that like, what if circumstances had changed? And so had I, what would that mean for me? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important, especially with a person with a trauma history and like having an anxious attachment, like you go through like the whole psycho crazy, like your brain, your body, your emotions, like everything is just like going haywire when Mm -hmm. you're bring perceive something to be a threat and in relationship with an anxious attachment like that's going to happen a lot like it's going to be like minute things like somebody uses the word wonderful instead of amazing and you're like oh shit what does that mean what Mm -hmm. you know and you're just like freaking out and so that's part of it my journey is stop take care of yourself like figure out how to calm your nervous system before responding or projecting or whatever. And I think, you know, your experience too, with asking your partner, like, this is what I need to talk every night. And then kind of working on stepping back a little bit from that to, you know, be more on par with each other's needs. Or how to co-create the plan, right? This idea of like, I don't think you have to muscle the right relationship into being very similar to Lauren, you, what you were saying about it, just like you were throwing all the rules out the window, like the right relationship is co-created. And so I think, um, you get to give yourself permission that the right person's going to show up and like want to co-create the answer to how do we see each other more often? And it's also respected too. You know, if anything, if they need clarity, they'll get that clarity in that moment of what you need. But once you've set, settled that as a boundary or a rule or whatever for your relationship, that person, if they're the right match, will respect what you have to say and will follow it, really. 
So what I was going to bring up before was the yellow cab light theory that Ryan and I have talked about so many times because we love sex in the city. I feel like I've seen a a reemergence of it on TikTok. And um, are you familiar with the yellow cab light? So it's like you're turning on your light if you're available. And it's like how you Mm -hmm. live your life is Mm -hmm. your yellow cab light on. Yes. Yeah, right. So ba- so basically, like in Sex in the City, Miranda talks about this theory of like men don't have their light on. And when they have their light on, if it's the woman in front of them, then that's the one they marry. And I've always gone back and forth with that. And I actually asked my boyfriend. Um, and so like in our particular <laughs> relationship, he said, that's absolutely not true. I've been ready to get married. I just was with the wrong person until like, you know, I met you. For a lot of other people or exes of mine and maybe Ryan, I don't know. Um, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. They said they didn't want to get married. And then the next one they met, all of a sudden they're ready to get married. Is it their light is on or was it just the wrong person? And so what I've noticed a lot on TikTok, a lot of um, stitching of just um, some people saying absolutely, others, you know, not so much. So I'd love to hear your take on um, your thoughts on that. I'm wary of any advice that boils human behavior down to um, a a, a taxi cab or like a trope or like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm very wary of that. I get we as human beings want to tell stories and we want the world to make sense. Um, And uh, I think it's maddening to not know why your ex chose to marry the next person and not you if you wanted to marry them like how 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 sad you know and how hard i think that also human behavior like we don't really know what's happening in another person's brain i also think that men are um i i I also am wary of like boiling men down to like they're just more simple than than women are or like that they must just want one thing or you know i think that i'm i'm wary of that i and and i don't have a neat in the box answer um i do think that like sometimes the time sometimes the timing just isn't right with where you are in each other's lives and i do believe that what is meant for you will not pass you by like i fully truly believe that um and i do believe that the right person is also ready for you and ready for what you want in in the timing that it happens um so that's my more come like more like both and answer i think that, go, ahead, go ahead lauren what were you gonna say oh no go ahead no i think that TikTok is really interesting right because it's like i i'm i'm both very grateful and very critical of um of how uh like the trend of ingesting advice from people. And um, I, it's why I uh, require that all of my clients go to a therapist outside of our work together, a licensed therapist, because um, there's just so much that coaching can't provide to a human being that a licensed clinical therapist, a trauma therapist can. Um, and why I think a lot of TikTok, like TikTok sound bites, can be dangerous to just like base your whole like dating program around. Um, uh, it's it's why TikTok isn't my full-time job because I I really like the work requires a a, a more expansive um, pool to play within. Um, it's why I do group coaching sessions for my clients and um, why we do this work in community and why we um, bring in the complexity of like uh, some of my clients love having casual sex 
And uh, so doing a dating app detox um, doesn't necessarily serve them because they want to find a sexual partner to have sex with. I celebrate that both and there are some of my clients who are deeply burnt out and like sick of dating apps and they don't like casual sex and they don't need to do that or they do like casual sex and they still need a dating app detox. So like no advice is meant to be for everybody. And so I think that that's why my basis of like what I teach and what I want to do is built is on a foundation of self-trust. So like if you trust yourself to be in the right relationship, if you trust yourself to make the fiercest decisions to have your own back, then there's no way you're going to make the wrong move. And if you do happen to make the wrong move, you're still fucking awesome and you get to make that shit right for yourself. You know, so there's no fucking it up in my estimation. Absolutely. I also think just freedom of choice. What works for one person doesn't work for another. And with TikTok, I think it's really good. I mean, I'm glad we we had this conversation because people are impressionable and they take everything to heart. And, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to do because what works for one person will work differently for another. And, you know, I mean, obviously I love TikTok and I love social media, but like you've got to really be intentional with what you're consuming because some of this stuff can really make you go down a spiral and that's not good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I went viral in, um, June of last year and it completely changed my life, like top to bottom, completely changed my life. Um, my podcast became like number four in the country in two days in the relationship category. And the, that's the date brazen podcast. And, um, the, 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 my program sold out. And then my, like the, the, there was so like a literary agent to, to get a book deal, like all of these incredible things happened because 1.7 million people viewed a TikTok about dating apps or a scam, right? Both. And the, the diving into that pool is so intense and the amount of people who like will misunderstand you and who will disagree and for whom you are not right like the amount of people who've been educating me about you know lily as a queer person i can't not use a dating app because i am physically unsafe dating in my small town without one or you know and like wow thank you so much for sharing that like i think that it it goes to show like I'm I'm posting a TikTok for one person in my mind and then the audience that consumes it is going to share their opinion um and uh, I both can like learn from those opinions and have to set really fierce boundaries with those opinions like it's so it's just I don't have a point but it's just like all everything everywhere all at once it feels like yeah, it's definitely a very complex place to be in our society and world, like the benefits of it, but also like the harm that it can do with people's willingness to just say whatever, right? And I think that can even connect to dating apps, like people's ability to just kind of say whatever, do whatever, and not feel the responsibility that a, another human is on the other side of it. So I feel like moving into those things is always positive and scary negatives too. Yeah. I mean, yet another reason to like not, not treat a dating app like the quote answer, right? Right. To like use it as a tool with your specific tool boundaries in mind. And I, I, I'm speaking to myself with TikTok right now as well, as we talk, like, I'm like, Lily, remind yourself of your own advice that this is just a tool and that people's comments don't 
Just like people's mas- matches and messages don't mean anything about you. Somebody saying, Lily, you're on, un- you seem unhinged on TikTok doesn't mean anything about me though. That hurt, honestly, like oh I, it just like, it's so bizarre before going viral, not when people who had a large following were like, my mental health is suffering because of these comments. I'd be like, well, you're a celebrity. Like you're going to get negative comments, like get over it. And then being on the receiving end is just like, oh shit. Like I am determining my, I need to work on some things in my brain to not take this in. Very to your point about dating apps too, right? Like this, these tools um, can be deeply harmful and deeply helpful. And yeah. the difference is in our boundaries, I think, and our relationship to ourselves using them. Yeah. Um, so one more question before we move on to our listeners' questions. And it's just, you know, connecting back to you as a feminist dating coach, how do you help your clients kind of get clear on who they are and like what they want so that there's not kind of this like getting swept up with like the novelty of a new person or setting aside what they really truly want because there's a person in front of me and it seems like it's going well so far, et cetera. Yeah. So I, number one, I recommend a dating app detox to really get clear in an intentional dating app detox to really get clear on what's happening in your brain and body to get rid of the noise for a second and get clear. I recommend that for like one to two months at least. And then I think it's about um, really identifying your, your preferences, like just brain dumping everything that you want. And then asking yourself intentional questions like, what of these preferences doesn't belong to me anymore? What of these preferences has been influenced by patriarchal conditioning? How am I, um, you know, really giving myself permission to, to want what I want? Uh, and then it's about identifying what are your essence-based preferences. So I use that the, the, a term um, that I use to describe what's beneath the surface of what you say you want. So like even for checklist things like age range, location, height, what is beneath the surface of that? Every single preference I have my clients answer these questions. Um, how do you hope that makes you feel? Like what is the intention behind this? Um, so know those things because you get to want age range 35 to 45 and how do you want that to make you feel? I want to feel we're in the same place and similar place in life that they understand where I'm coming from, that we have similar references. We can laugh together. I feel seen. I feel understood, right? That goes for education preference as well. Like some of my clients come in saying, I want somebody who went to an Ivy League school as two. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you want to feel? I want to feel seen. I want to feel belonging. I want to feel intellectually matched, right? Focusing on how you want to feel will always guide you in the direction of the right person without the rigidity. Then when it comes to like personality traits and values, identifying what is your love life vocabulary. So everybody says kind, funny, smart, great, fabulous. What is your version of kind? What is your version? Okay. It's somebody who is compassionately listening. They check in on their coworkers. They have this type of relationship with their friends. They go to a party and they behave in this type of way. This is how they show up in the world. This is what they care about. This is what somebody who is kind to me cares about, does, acts. So in that way, your love life vocabulary is very distinct from my love life vocabulary. And so once you know 
like what is that definition for yourself you can come into like what is a, a the root what is the root word really is it kind or is it compassionate um actively compassionate or is it um uh like deeply um curious or is it do you do you see what i'm saying like getting to your root word that and then have your definition um most people after doing this process only have like three to five root words and then using those root words you can then come up with your qualifying disqualifying questions to ask to gauge whether or not somebody embodies those preferences on a like level one level and then once you go on dates you can ask questions, see if you're feeling how you want to feel, follow up on preferences you might not have like gotten a sense of on the first date, and in that way continue to build the connection grounded in what you want instead of getting caught up with like, oh my God, they're so cute and they think I'm cute and like, oh my God, they're into me. I can't believe it. Being like, are they serving me? Are they meeting what I want to feel? And then I also have this like date feedback system so that my clients can tune in with their intuition after every date and like fill in like, how did I feel? What did we talk about that made me come alive? How did they show me they had active compassion? How did they not show me, right? Like really grounded, I'm type A. So I love a grounded type A process. So all of that I teach inside my program, The Brazen Breakthrough. Um, and it's, I have podcast episodes about it as well that people can use to, to dive deep before we ever work together. So thorough. And um, even though some of the concepts I've heard before, I like your approach, especially the last one too, of just really getting through and like combing through of what you really are looking for, what really makes you feel good and like picking it apart. Because sometimes we just kind of glaze over, you know, like we want someone who's nice, but what is nice to us? Right. Because what's nice to, to Ryan might be different for me. And it's really important to get clear on what you want before you tackle um, something like dating. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, lastly, it's not about a rigid Polaroid snapshot. It's not about, I know that they went to this school and they studied this and they're a social worker and they like blah, 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 blah. It's about an impressionist painting. So in an impressionist painting, you can't see the edges, but you know how it feels to be there. And so that's what the goal is, is not rigidity, but like impressionist, I know how it feels. I know what the vibe is. That's the goal. Yeah, I like that. Cause you're not gonna know right away. I mean, there's just, there's so much, you know, like take your time, know where your outline is and just allow things to kind of fill in in the middle with feelings and experiences because you might find that you thought that you wanted somebody that was super sociable but then you realize that that comes with other things like they have a million friends and you don't fit into their schedule all the time um <laughs> ryan i want you to have this conversation like asap <laughs> um yeah we'll see when <laughs> also, Ryan, last last thing I want to say to you about this, unless you want to keep going, if I may, can I go back here? Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. You're so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and framing around like, why wouldn't like the right person is going to be so excited to see me more. And I don't have to make up a story about whether or not they're seeing me enough right now. I just get to advocate for my own needs and see how they show up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're awesome and like centering yourself in this process, I think is, is the key. 
it's also hard and nerve wracking and maybe painful and all the things. And you get to be the center of your love story. Very true. Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So we have some listener questions. Uh, first one, when do partners take priority priority over parents in a relationship? And when does that shift happen? Oh my God. I think defining priority and like, it's so specific for each parent child relationship. You know, I think that, um, for example, I would really struggle if my, um, fiance was like obsessed with his mother's opinion on everything. (laughs) You know, like, I think that that would be, that would maybe be a deal breaker for me, you know? And I know that some, uh, mother children have that relationship both and like, I think that for me and Chris, or I'll speak for myself, um, it happened around like year two, maybe year three. And also that relationship is so different from him and his mom to me and him. And I think very similarly, there are other relationships that take different sorts of priority in my life. Like my relationship with my best friend has a different level of priority that I would say like my relationship with Chris, if he needs me, deep like if he's like we're having an emergency you need to talk i'm gonna go deal with that emergency and my partner respects that i prioritize my relationships in a certain way and he knows that now after five years and so he's able to give me so much space and i think with parents it's very similar yeah this one is definitely a case by case so (laughs) what do you Um, need what are you annoyed by how can you talk about that with your partner are they game to be like yeah that was annoying that my mom did that my it was annoying that my dad did that they join you in your feelings or are they super defensive like mm -hmm. what do you want here i think is my answer to the person sure yeah I mean, it, it's hard. It sometimes is hard with the listener questions to know it. Like there's only so much in the box that they can answer to really like deep dive into it. But okay. So the next one, what advice do you have for someone dating in their thirties? Again, I would ask like, what are you struggling with? I think most people are struggling with something similar in their dating lives, whether they're, I've worked with women as old as 65, 67, and their struggles have been very similar in architecture to clients who are 28. I think that the same stuff comes up. Like, does one I does what I want exists exist? Uh, what if I'm feeling hopeless? Um, how do I move through hopelessness? Um, what if what if I've been trying so hard and it's not been working out? What does that mean about me? Right? Like, my advice is just this podcast episode of like, how can you get in touch with your body and your nervous system? Care for them first. And then when you're feeling more regulated, ask yourself, like, do the essence-based preference work? Um, It gets tough when you're talking, specifically, I have clients in their mid-30s, late-30s, thinking about having children biologically, and that can add a specific strain um, onto the dating process. My advice for that on a basic level without knowing if this is what that person is struggling with, like may or may not be. A lot of people don't want kids and I, I celebrate that choice. Um, if you do and that feels pressure packed, brain and body nervous system care. <laughs> that's 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 all we can do. Like how can you hold yourself in compassion as you navigate the unknown and also support your dreams by taking every step you can to make sure that your dreams happen no matter what, like freezing your eggs or whatever. That, that got very specific, <laughs> but I think like, what are you going to do to give yourself permission to have what you want? 
Yeah, no, I think that's valuable information for sure for a lot of people, because as a, you know, person that can have children, like that is a piece of it is, you know, that time clock, unfortunately. Okay, here's our last one. What are some maybe signs that you're really not compatible with the person you're dating? Lastly, I want to go back to the last question just really quickly. Uh, Brain dump all the thoughts, the scary thoughts you have in your head about how time is running out. Like acknowledge the thoughts in your brain and then give do a self-compassion meditation on self-compassion.org, an incredible resource by Dr. Kristen Neff. Okay. We're talking about how do you know if you're not compatible? Do the essence-based preference flow? And you can listen to, I think, episode 135 or 136 of the Date Brazen podcast to that I take you through like step-by-step how to do your essence-based preferences. And then once you know how you want to feel, look at your current relationship. Am I feeling the way I want and need to feel? If the answer is no, I feel anxious and alone most of the time, that's an in, that's a, a pretty good indicator that you have a conversation to have <laughs> with your partner. Um, I think that uh, self-compassion says, of course, I want this to work. And of course, I am struggling. And fierce self-compassion says, I get to act in my own best interest. And so I, I would be curious about the person who asked, how do I know if I'm compatible or not? Um. I would ask, like, what's beneath your question? Do you feel like you're not compatible with your current partner? And this was part of you, like, wondering out loud. Do you need to talk about it with your therapist? Can you have that conversation with your partner? Does it feel safe enough to have that conversation with your partner? Um, Because I do believe the right relationship is, uh, like, gets to be easier than hard. There are hard things that happen because we're human. And the right relationship gets to feel easeful in your compatibility. That's my answer. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> I feel like you just, I don't know. I, Cause I'm only speaking for myself, even though we're both therapists, a lot of times this podcast gives us a chance to break away from what a, our therapist self would say versus what I like we would say. So as Lauren, I would say that it's, if you're asking the question, chances are something feels off. What feels off? Can this be something that's communicated and fixed? Or is this an innate personality thing? And it's not changing. One of those is empathy. That's a huge one where, you know, if someone's partner is not feeling um, empathetic towards any of their feelings, understanding why X feeling made them feel this way. Um, I think that that one is definitely um, a, a deal breaker, in my opinion, or a, a factor in incompatibility. But I think that, you know, what makes this question a little bit uh, complicated is uh, lack of information, like you said. So that that's my take. Ryan? Uh, yeah, I think when you ask those questions, like it can be either that you already have evidence that it might be true or that you're kind of nervous about the commitment. Like sometimes I feel like people start to look for signs and symptoms that they're not compatible or that there's something wrong because they're fearful of like, what if there's nothing wrong? Or what if this person is good for me and I can just finally 
kind of sit in it and relax and not have to think about what if and where's what's coming next. So I think there are going to be two pieces to it. Um, I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm a, um, my parents divorced, um, like five, six years ago and around the time that I met Chris. Um, and so this idea, and it had not been, um, a healthy, like reciprocal relationship. It had not been like a relationship that I was looking up to as a standard for relationship, um, for a long time. And so this idea of like, what if it works was really scary. And what if I don't, what, how can I trust myself if I've never been in the right relationship before? And how can I trust myself to decide to marry somebody? And how do you really know? And, um, for me and, you know, speaking from my experience, what I came back to and have to come back to is like, do I trust myself today? Do I trust myself tomorrow? Do I trust myself to figure it out if anything shifts in the future? Yes. Like I will remain myself. I will remain like very fiercely having my own back no matter what happens. Um, and so I'm in that way guaranteed to be in the right relationship with myself first. Um, and then I'm, Chris and I are, um, are getting married in May and so uh this idea of like oh my god marriage like life commitment and stuff and so we like to say that the the idea of like modern monogamy as esther perel puts it it's like we will be married as long as we want to be married and how celebratory can that be like we will be together and enriched by each other um and maybe that'll last, like, what if it lasts forever? That could be really cool and fun. Um, and that gave me a sense of peace in terms of, are we compatible for 20 years? I don't know. Like, we're going to trust ourselves and figure it out. Congratulations, by the way. I like, I like, I like that. I've never really heard that, um, that concept, modern monogamy, but it, it it's, it's weird to think about the future, you know, because if I've changed so much in the last five years, what is it going to be like in 10 years, 20 years? Um, you know, and the hope is that your partner will continue to evolve and grow in their journey and yours will align together. But I think sometimes it it doesn't, you know, and that's kind of where divorce comes in or separation, but sometimes it does, you know, or there's plenty of marriages that have lasted and plenty that haven't. And, you know, just kind of uh, taking it as it comes is a good way, good way to look at it. And I, I, I am by no means saying I'm not like thrilled to be with my current, of with course, my partner. And like, we know I'm that. so, and just bringing in this idea, like Ryan and Lauren, y'all were talking about, like, we, what if we get what we want and what a nerve wrack it, it still can be i still deal with thoughts like do i get to is do i get to have what i want is that still oh my god i do whoa i still am processing that um and receiving it um so i think this idea that it's like super easy and perfect and like your brain is just gonna catch up to being in the best relationship of your life is is not as um, clean cut as it like your brain still is a brain that's still trying to protect you at all costs um so being soft with that i think is important yeah absolutely i think that's uh, you know you i i think what you said is like we we can't have it all but it's just sometimes you're don't believe it in the moment <laughs> So um, we like to have like, what's a final takeaway that you would like our listeners to have from this episode? And also where can they find you, connect with you, work with you? 
So final takeaway is give yourself a big old fat permission slip today to do say what you need and what you want. Um, Ryan, thinking of you in this conversation uh, that you're going to have that is courageous. Um, write your, I love the Brene Brown thing of like writing yourself a physical permission slip. And then self-compassion, self-compassion, self-compassion. I really highly recommend Dr. Kristen Neff's work. And again, those are free meditations at self-compassion.org. Um, I have not met Dr. Kristen Neff. I cannot wait um, until that happens. I'm not paid to talk about her website all the time, but I do because it's like amazing free meditations. Um, and then number three is come hang out with me at the Date Brazen podcast if you want even more feminist-based, self-trust-based dating advice that helps you come into your own best answers. Because um, I believe that everybody listening is the expert of what they need, and they're the expert of getting it when you give yourself permission to learn how to embody that um, and learn how to um, take up more space in your love life with your desires and with courageous action. So if you want to work with me, I have a program called the Brazen Breakthrough that is open all the time. And it is a step-by-step -step process to create a joyful as fuck dating life that leads to extraordinary. And it has group coaching sessions for a year. And the community is so badass and supportive. And it's a place where you really get to be held in belonging and also come up with the most powerful next steps for you in your dating life um, online and in person. So uh, you can find that at datebrazen.com. You can also find me on TikTok at datebrazen and on Instagram at date brazen. Thank you so much for being on our first episode of our first official season. Um, we're Congratulations. Heading, thank you. We're heading into seasons, um, trying it out and uh, it's a new year and this is our first episode of 2023. So thank you so much for being on it. And it was just so, it was so good. And it was so nice, like in my position to kind of take a little bit of a back seat and just listen and kind of have Ryan have the floor. It was, it was nice. I agree. I agree that Ryan love, I love <laughs> Ryan's shares. How, do, uh, how are you feeling, Ryan? Good. I'm not advertising this on Facebook, so he can't listen to it before my conversation. Amazing. <laughs> Sounds <Yeah>. good. <laughs> yeah. He can listen to it later, maybe, if the conversation goes well. hundred <laughs> percent. I love that. Well, thank you both for having me on. I'm so grateful. Yes. Thanks so much. And um, we're excited for everyone to hear this episode. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.